Welcome to the podcast at the Hill. You are about to hear a message from Pastor Daniel Blaylock entitled, The Not-So-Good Samaritan, from our series, From Ashes to Easter. Amen. John chapter 4, if you have your Bible, I won't be before you long today. John chapter 4, if you have your Bible. The Bible tells us this great story that Pastor Austin recounted for us a moment ago about the woman who was at the well, Samaritan woman, whom Jesus met, changed everything about her life that day, amen. If you have your Bible, John chapter 4, beginning with the first verse, hear the word of the Lord today. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees has heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples did, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. Say that with me. He needed to go through Samaria. So when he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground, Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria came to him. How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, and you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Would you say amen to the reading of God's word? Amen. Father, bless our reading and open our hearts to receive your truth in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I want to talk to you today about two people, the two people in this story, the Samaritan and the Savior. Will you say that with me? The Samaritan and the Savior. Amen. Look at this woman with me this morning. This Samaritan woman, this passage is familiar to us. If you've been in the church at all, you've probably heard this woman and her story. I want to tell you a little about her. The first thing we obviously know about her is she was dry. Say dry. She's dry physically, right? She came out here to draw water because she's physically very thirsty. She lives in this climate, and Jacob's well is the only spot in town from which she can draw water. There is no 7-Eleven where she can buy bottled water, and there is no indoor plumbing so she can turn the tap. Amen? It is this well or nothing. She has one source to be able to come and meet her physical need. But she's not just dry physically. She's dry socially because the Bible says she came at noon. Say at noon. Straight up 12 o'clock, this woman is out here drawing well. Every woman would have come twice a day to draw water for their family. They would have come early in the morning and they would have come again just before sundown in the evening because those are the cooler parts of the day and they did not want to do this hot task of carrying a water pot on their head or their shoulder in the heat of the day. So they would have come early or late. But no woman would have been out there at noontime unless she had a reason. And her reason wasn't just that she was thirsty Her reason was she did not want to encounter anybody. She wanted to be alone, so she came in the hottest part of the day. She has no friends. She has several enemies probably in the town. She doesn't want to bump into anybody she knows. She's praying what you pray when you go to Walmart, right? Lord, don't let me see anybody that I know. Yes, that's her. 
She's there. She doesn't want to bump into anybody. She wants to get in and get out. She wants to draw water and go home and not be disturbed. And she's dry spiritually. Over and over in John's gospel, water represents life, the life of God in the soul. And she lacks that. She doesn't have spiritual life. She's in great need, as every human being is, until they meet the Lord Jesus. She's dry and she's disappointed. Say disappointed. This woman has tried everything to meet the deep need of her heart, her need for life, her need for security, her need for love and companionship, her need for satisfaction. She's had five husbands, and the sixth man with whom she is living won't even give her the spiritual covering, legal security of marrying her. If she dies, if he dies first, she literally could be left destitute with no claim to anything, not even the house that she currently lives in. She is in a very precarious situation. She's disappointed. He wants to share her bed, but he won't share her name. Ladies, that's the first sign you might have a loser right there. You might think this is not an issue, but Jesus addresses it, so the preacher has permission to address it. Amen? People say, well, me, you know, your marriage is no different than us living together and being committed to one another. Well, if it's no different, go down to the courthouse and fix it then. If it's no difference, then, then it shouldn't be a problem, right? I'll give you the $15 if you're short. Okay? Go deal with it. Get, get it. get it right. Get it right before God and right before man. Get it right. Fix it. Amen? Oh, it isn't an issue. Well, Jesus thought it was an issue because he addressed this in her life. We'll get there in just a moment. I want to tell you today, we need to be careful about coloring outside the lines that God has set for us. This woman's disappointed. She's partly disappointed because she is trying to find something that she'll never find in human relationships. You see, she's on man number six. Say number six. In the Bible, especially in John and Revelation, who's written by John, numbers matter. Numbers are symbolic of greater realities. And six is the number of a man. Say a man. She's on number six. She's got a man. And she's had enough men that if a man could make you happy, she'd already be happy. Amen? She's on number six. And obviously, what she needs is not another man. She doesn't just need another in that category. She doesn't need another human being to help fill the deep need of her life. Instead, Jesus walks on the scene in the story, and he's number seven. And seven in the Bible represents God, amen? And what she needs is for God to walk into her life, and everything might change for her. She's had one, two, three, four, five, and six, but what she needs is number seven who's come to stand before her, amen? I'm thankful Jesus will step in. Six men have let her down, but number seven, the God-man has entered the scene, and everything's about to change. She's disappointed. She is disgraced. That's why she comes in the middle of the day. She doesn't want to meet anybody. It is embarrassing for her that her life has turned out the way that it has. Here she is. Very likely, she doesn't want to go to the well and meet these other women because some of the men that she ended up married to were probably men that they were also married to. It wouldn't surprise me if one of those women... She was the reason that their home broke up. She may have broke up a couple of those houses. A couple of those women may have broken up her house. We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But she has a reason to not want to bump into the ladies from the village. Amen? She's got baggage. She's got some history. The women despised her and the men desired her. And she's caught in the middle of a very difficult way of living. She is disgraced. But more importantly, she is deceived. Say deceived. 
She's all mixed up about life. She's mixed up about life, number one. She thinks that if she could ever just get the right human relationship, it would fix everything for her. If I can just get the right man, if I could just find me a good man, if a good man would just come into my life, everything would be different for me. She thought she was one human relationship away from everything going well. But she's deceived about life. Life doesn't work that way. You see, no man, no human can meet the deepest needs of your heart. Only God can do that. And as long as you are taking your needs to human beings and they're trying to fill you up, you won't ever be full. You won't ever be content. You won't ever have peace or joy. Only Jesus can do that for you. And when you let him do that, then you're free to let other people be what they are. And that is the flawed human beings that they really are. Clay feet all the way up to the neck. Amen? She's confused about Jesus. She's skeptical of the very man who can help her and do something for her. Who are you? Why is a Jew talking to me? What do you have? You can't draw water. You don't even have a bucket to draw water from the well with. She is all mixed up about life and about Christ. Amen? But I'm so thankful that Jesus doesn't leave her there. He intervenes. Number seven comes on the scene and his life intersects with her. So notice not only the Samaritan, but notice the Savior today. This not so good Samaritan meets Jesus at the well in Sychar. And number one, he initiates the search. He's the one who starts the process of her being rescued and being saved. If we ever are saved, it'll be because God started and initiated that process. Amen? I hear people say, oh, I found the Lord. You didn't know where to look for the Lord. Amen. You didn't know where to look. You didn't know where to find him. You didn't find, you didn't find Jesus. Jesus found you. The lost sheep doesn't find the shepherd. The shepherd finds the lost sheep. Amen? He came looking for you. He came and called you by your name. He came and lifted you out of a pit. He's the one who rescued you. Amen? He brought you out. He brought you out of the miry clay. He lifted you out of a horrible pit. He set your feet on a rock and established your goings. He put a song of praise in your mouth, even a hymn of praise to our God that many will see and hear and trust in the Lord. Amen? How many of you know that Jesus saves us? Amen? He searches us out. He rescues us. He said, I must needs go through Samaria. I have to go through Samaria. I have an assignment in Samaria. He needed to go through there, verse 4 says. It's interesting, in chapter 3, Nicodemus seeks Jesus out and leaves confused. But this woman is sought out by Jesus, and he clears everything up for her by the end of the story. It's a contrast. Hear me, Jesus always initiates the search. Say, God started it. Years ago, I heard the story of two women. One woman's name was Maria, and she had a daughter named Christina. And they lived in a little country village right outside of Buenos Aires, Argentina. One day, Christina turned 16 years old, and she thought that she knew everything. And she and her mom got into a fight, and she decided it was time to leave home. So Christina left home, and as you can imagine, she hitched a ride to the big city, the capital of Buenos Aires in Argentina. When she got there, having no plan, thinking that she would be able to make it okay, she fell into a very difficult situation. She met a man whom she thought was nice and proved not to be very nice at all. And before you know it, she's doing things that she never would have imagined just in order to make the ends meet, in order to cover up the pain of her new chosen profession that chose her, she finds herself using drugs and alcohol to numb the pain every night. Her mother prays every night that she will come home, hopes that she will return, is suspicious that she probably has landed in the big city that has beckoned to her since she was younger. When she can stand it no longer, Maria 
takes a cab fare and she rides into Buenos Aires and she searches all day long for her daughter throughout the red light district of Buenos Aires. When she cannot find her and sun is about to set and she's afraid to be there any longer, in one last effort to locate her daughter, she goes into a little shop where they make copies. When I was in that part of the world visiting, it always amazed me that you could find a Xerox stand on the street corner. I didn't know there was that much demand for Xerox stand, but obviously there is. And they would sell on the corner where you could go and make photocopies. Well, she stepped into one of those little booths and with a picture of her daughter Christina, she gave everything that she could spare except her cab fare home and she made as many copies as she could of her daughter Christina's picture. And she went throughout the red light district and she taped up the pictures of her daughter all over, uh, all over telephone poles and back alleys and even in restrooms of places that she never thought she would step. Bars and clubs and establishments of darkness. She walks in and she pastes up one. She tapes it on the back of, of a bathroom stall. And she leaves, gets in the car, goes home and prays to God that her effort will be successful. That evening after an especially rough night at work, Christina stumbles into the bathroom stall, takes a syringe out of her purse and prepares to sort of get some relief from the difficulty of her night. But when she does, she locks the bathroom stall and there staring back at her is her own face. Christina looks and there's her picture staring at her. She takes the picture off the bathroom door stall and she flips it over on the back and she finds a handwritten note in her mother's own writing that simply says, Dear Christina, whatever, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've become, just please come home. Just please come home. And can I tell you today that the good news of the gospel is there is a God in heaven who writes in every sunrise and every sunset. No matter what you've done and no matter what you've become, just come home. Just come back to the Father's house. Just return to me. Just come and bring your heart just like it is, broken, damaged, messed up, sinful, unclean. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've become. There's a place for you in the Father's house. He will forgive you. He will redeem you. He will rescue you. He will bring you into his family. He will wash you and make you clean. He will tend your wounds. He will give you a new heart. He will give you a fresh start. He will help you begin to live again. I'm thankful for Jesus today because he initiates the search. Would you say amen? He reveals the heart of God in this passage. God's tracking you down. Some of you may feel like God's tracking you down. Well, he's not tracking you down to beat you up for everything you've done wrong. He's tracking you down to give you pardon and to help you start a new life again. Amen. So Jesus initiates the search. He offered her salvation. And she's not at all convinced that he is willing or able to come through on this. She questions his willingness. Wait a minute. You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan and we don't talk to one another. This would sort of be like race relations back in the 1950s in America. Very difficult, very different day than you and I live in now. Thank God for the change and the progress that we've made. May God pro help us to progress a little bit more, amen? God knows we need that in our country as well when it comes to this issue. But here she is, and she's living in a day where she would be very much racially divided from Jesus because she's a Samaritan. A Samaritan was not just a Gentile, it was a special kind of Gentile. They were racially mixed. 
Their heritage was Jewish people who had intermarried with Gentiles. And so not only was she not Jewish, she was racially mixed. And so oftentimes the Samaritans felt like they were equally rejected by both Jews and Gentiles. And for that reason, they live in one little region, one area called Samaria, where they cluster together and they can find a little bit of identity and security. She can't imagine why this man would want to help her. The Jews had nothing to do with the Samaritans. But just compare this woman to the gentleman Jesus had been talking to the night before in John 3. His name's Nicodemus. He's a man. She's a woman. He's a Jew. She's a Samaritan. He is well known. We even have his name, Nicodemus. She is unnamed. She's simply the woman at the well. We don't know her name. He worships at the temple where you're supposed to gather. She worships up on Mount Gerizim with the Samaritans. He has God's law. He has God's law. Her scriptures have been corrupted and are not really uh, like they ought to be. He is a leader in Israel. She is a reject in Sychar. They could not be more opposite. They're different. In every way, this man and this woman are different. And yet... If anyone has a shot at God's help, she doubts that it's her, but she doesn't know very much about Jesus because Jesus doesn't care what you've done or what you become. Jesus doesn't he doesn't care about your race. He doesn't care about your ethnicity. He doesn't care about your socioeconomic background. He doesn't care how much money's in your bank account and how little money's in your pocket this morning. Amen. He loves you. He has come after you. He's calling you out. He's inviting you into a relationship. 1 Corinthians 1, he said, Paul said, Brothers, don't you see your calling that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He has chosen the weak things to put to shame the mighty and the base things of the world. And the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. The base things of the world, God has chosen. And the despised thing. Do you feel like you're on the bottom of the ladder? Do you feel despised? Can I tell you, God chooses the despised. God chooses the broken. God chooses those whose life has turned them upside down. God uses those who were lower than they ever thought they could possibly be. God chooses those people. God chooses us when we're there. He's not deceived. Listen, he knows our heart and he looks at us on the inside. He's not impressed at my house or my suit. It doesn't mean one thing to him. It, it doesn't count at all with him. It doesn't matter one thing at all. He knows that you and I could change clothes and it wouldn't change anything about us on the inside. He knows that I could sleep in your bed tonight and you could sleep in my bed tonight and it wouldn't change anything on the inside about who we are. Don't judge one another on that. God knows us better than that. Amen? Don't let that get in your heart or your head. It has nothing to do with your relationship with God today. God has chosen you. God has set his love on you. God has picked you to be part of his family. Respond to the invitation. Jesus comes over every obstacle to reach this woman. The geographical barrier. The racial barrier. The ethical barrier. The denominational barrier. None of these things will keep Jesus from reaching out to her or to us. But she's not sure he's willing to do that. Why would a Jew be willing to help a Samaritan? And she's not sure that he's able either. Well, I don't even know that you're able to do what you're offering me. Where are you going to get this living water? You come out here asking for a drink and you're offering me water and you don't even have a rope or a... Where are you going to get water? You have no ability to do this. He quest she questions his ability. Are you greater than Jacob who gave us this well, she says? Sir, you have nothing to draw with. She's curious, but she's skeptical. 
She is wondering how he's going to come through on this promise. What makes you so special that you have access to the living water you're talking about? But Jesus is both willing and able. Amen. He's willing, number one. He says to her, he says, if you knew who was talking to you, you would have asked him and he would give you a drink. He would give you a drink. He's willing. Say he's willing. And number two, he is able. Look at verse 10. If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, you would ask him. If you knew who I was, you would ask me for a drink. If you knew that I was the son of God, she poses problems and he proclaims promises. He promises her two things. Number one, he promises her salvation. Say salvation. If you drink the water I'm offering you, it'll be a well springing up to everlasting life on the inside of you. I will give you eternal life, Jesus says. The fountain is ever present. It'll be in you and it's endlessly flowing. It springs up to everlasting life. You won't have to come here to draw water anymore. Because I will be on the inside of you, giving you life all the time. But he doesn't just promise her salvation. Number two, he promises her satisfaction. Say satisfaction. And this is the part where we all stumble, in my opinion. Americans don't seem to have a problem believing that Jesus can give us eternal life. It seems to me that you can get someone to pray the prayer to receive Jesus to give them eternal life. If you stand up and say... Do you want to go to hell? Everybody would say, no, I don't want to go to hell. Raise your hand if you want to go to heaven. Everybody would raise their hand, right? Well, if you want to go to heaven, you need Jesus. Okay, then how do I get Jesus? Well, repeat this prayer and invite Jesus into your heart. And so everybody repeats the prayer and invites Jesus into their heart. And some of them, sometimes it takes and sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> how can you say that? Well, I'm just looking at the evidence. Not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, but the one who does the will of my Father. How do you know if you really got Jesus? Because I want to tell you, he doesn't just bring salvation, he brings satisfaction. And if Jesus hadn't satisfied you, he probably hadn't saved you. Oh, it's fixing to get hot in the holiness church, and I don't mean the temperature. Oh, I've got eternal life, but you still live like the world. You don't have eternal life. Because if he'd saved your heart, he would have satisfied your heart. How do you know I'm not saved? Because I see what you're drinking. I see how you're living. I know what you're taking your heart to. If Jesus saves you, he satisfies you. Say that with me. If Jesus saves you, he satisfies you. If your heart is not satisfied, you haven't had a drink from the right fountain today. If you're still going after the things of this world, if you're still pulling on things out there that you have no business fooling around with, if you're still living in sin, if you're still taking your cup out there and letting all these things of the world pour into you, you obviously haven't had a drink from Jesus yet. Whoever drinks this water will thirst again, Jesus said, but whoever the water that I shall give him will never thirst again. Ask most people, are you saved? Yes. If you were to ask them, are you satisfied, the, question, the answer might be very different. What's scary is so many people who claim to be saved, but they take the deep needs of their soul somewhere else. What do you mean, Pastor? They lack contentment. They're still pursuing satisfaction through material possessions. They're chasing after money. They're climbing the ladder at work. They think if they could just make a little bit more, they'd be happy. Or if they just got a little bit better job, they'd be happy. Or if they got a little higher position in the company, they'd be happy. Or if they could land the right girl or guy, they would be happy. Or if they could just own the right vacation home, they would be happy. They turn on the television. 
says the reason you're not happy is you're not wearing the right clothes or driving the right car or you don't live in the right neighborhood or you haven't sprayed the light, right cologne on you or you aren't staying at the right hotel or you, aren't, you don't have tickets to the right concert or you don't have close enough tickets at the football game. And it, the, the, the world is just trying to sell us more and more and more and more. And the lie is you are one purchase away from your heart being satisfied. And it is a lie that creeped out over the opening of the gate from the pit because things will never satisfy you. They'll never satisfy you. And human relationships will never satisfy you. They'll never satisfy you. Here they are. They lack contentment. They lack joy. They're, they're always looking for the next experience to be entertained. They bury themselves in sports and music and movies to distract themselves from how unhappy they are. They're constantly looking for happiness because they lack joy. Hear me today. Isaiah 44, 20. They feed on ashes. A deceived heart has turned them aside. And he can't for his soul nor say, is there not a lie in my right hand? They look for temporary relief, but they never find lasting satisfaction. Amen. What does Jesus do? Well, he confronts her sin. He hits it head on. He confronts her sin. He says, let me tell you the reason you don't have satisfaction. It's the reason you aren't drinking from me is because you have found a substitute Savior. Say a substitute Savior. He confronts her on her sin. He said, here's your problem. Your problem is... All these other relationships you're looking to. He confronts her sin. She says, give me this living water. And he responds by saying, go call your husband. Mm. Check. Check. She's in check. Oh, I don't have a husband. Yeah, you don't have a husband. Check. And now checkmate. You have said rightly you don't have a husband because you've been married five times and the man that you're with now is not your husband. So you spoke the truth when you said, I do not have a husband. Well, she told the truth, but she didn't tell the whole truth, did she? You will never be free until you let Jesus deal with you truthfully. Those who worship God must worship him in truth. You've got to say the truth. You've got to be honest. You've got to be open. God can't get you out of a mess you won't acknowledge that you're in. Even God won't help you until you come to the place where you say, I'm in trouble and I need God to reach down and rescue me. You've got to quit being prideful. You've got to humble down and say, God, here's the whole truth. Jesus called her out. He invited her to tell the whole story. He confronts her about her sin. He puts his finger on the sore spot in her life. Firmly but gently, he confronts her. Here's her issue. She is looking for a man to give her what only God can provide. Lots of marriages end over this very issue. You get married thinking you found Mr. Right or Miss Right. You didn't know their first name was always. Soon it becomes apparent that just as human as you are, they'll never be able to meet the deep needs of your heart. You decide to strike out again, file for divorce, roll the dice and start the search all over again. I've had people tell me and Shay all sorts of nonsense about our marriage. They'll say, well, y'all just got lucky. We weren't lucky. We were intentional and we knew what we were looking for and we didn't settle for anything less than what God said we were looking for. We refused to be unequally yoked with somebody who didn't love Jesus like we love Jesus. That wasn't luck. That was a choice. Make better choices. Oh, well, I'm just dating him to get him to church. Drop him like a hot potato. If he won't come to you to, with you to church now, he's certainly not going to come with you to church then. You don't need a man you've got to lead. You need a man that will lead your family that will wake you up in the morning and say, Get up, we're going to church. 
You don't need a project. You need a priest in your home. You need a man who will stand up and be a man and who will live for God and lead your family in the things of God. And if he's not already that, there's little hope of him becoming that after you marry him. Don't go there. Don't do that. Don't think you're going to evangelistically date and convert him. Well, Pastor, I wish somebody would preached that to me before I got married. Well, I'm sorry you missed that one. Well, Pastor, now I'm married. What do I do? Bear down and pray. Seek the face of God. Because what is impossible with men is possible with God. And the Bible says if you'll live in front of that spouse who doesn't know the Lord and you'll call on the Lord, God will work on one side while your example is working on the other and God will turn up the heat in your house and conviction will come and the Spirit of the Lord can do a work and you can see that lost loved one come to know the Lord. You can see that lost spouse saved. I'm just ready to get out. No, don't get out. Don't pull out. Hang in there and believe God to do a miracle. Live it in front of Him. God still does that. Oh, pastor, you don't understand. I'm so tired of being told what I don't understand. I wish you understood that when you stood before the Lord and said, till death do us part, it meant till death do us part. I wish people understood whenever they made promises to God and to one another that the Lord was going to hold us to those promises and there'd be great damage that we brought down our own lives if we violated those promises. I wish people still understood and believed that. Is there grace? Of course there's grace. Will God help us if we messed up? Yes, he will. I'm not talking to people who messed up. I'm talking to people who got their finger on the trigger today, and I'm telling you, don't pull it. And I have some friends who did and would tell you the same thing I'm telling you today. You better back up. You don't realize what kind of ride you're in for if you go down this road. Hear me today. Hmm. Lord, help us. Oh, both of you are near perfect. If I gave Shay two minutes for rebuttal, she would change your mind. We're not perfect. We're a long way from it. Y'all were just made for each other. No, we're very happy together, but we believe that we could have been happy if we married other people too. Becoming one with your mate doesn't just happen. You have to make it happen. You have to work at it. The key for us, when you let God be God, you can let people be people. Shay and I are not looking to one another to meet the deep needs of our heart. We are not one another's source of security. We are not one another's source of identity. We are not one another's source of soul satisfaction. Jesus is both of our sources for all those things. And we got our hearts satisfied in him. It makes our marriage so much easier. Amen. Why? Because if I go through a rough patch, she doesn't say, oh my, there must be something wrong with me. There must be something wrong with our marriage. Oh, I've got to fix him. Oh, I must not be enough. No, no. What does she do? She goes and shuts the door and says, I'm praying for you. You got a bad attitude. You need to go pray. I'm going to pray for you. You need to let Jesus meet the deep needs of your heart. I'm praying for you. Yes. If that doesn't work, I start finding oil stains on my clothes. She'll catch my clothes before I put them on and she'll... Lord Jesus, in the name of Jesus, get this off of him. Yeah. Why? We're looking to Jesus. That takes the pressure off our marriage. I'm free to let her be the human being that she is. She's free to let me be the flawed human being that I am. And we just locked our wagons again, so we're going to make this thing work. And we're going to keep both of our eyes on Jesus, and we're going to pull ahead in the same direction. I'm going to help you, and you're going to help me, but Jesus is going to help both of us, and he's going to be the glue that holds our family together. Amen. It'll work. Jesus is enough. Oh, I'm not enough. I didn't say you were enough. I said Jesus was enough. Stop looking to one another to meet the deep need. Look to Jesus to meet the deep need. If we're ever going to find satisfaction in Jesus, we've got to lay down the substitute saviors. 
It's interesting what happens lastly. He gets to the source. She tries to dodge the preacher. Oh, go call your husband. Oh, the man you're living with is not your husband. Oh, wait a minute. You're a prophet. I've seen you guys on TBN. You're a prophet. You call people up and you read their mail and you tell them what's going on. I know who you are. I sent somebody to a ministry like that one time. I got you. You are a prophet. I got you. Well, I'm glad to know you are a preacher. I want to ask you a religious question, preacher. Where did Adam get it? Did Adam have a belly button? Where did Cain get his wife? Amen. Were there mosquitoes on the ark? If so, why didn't Noah swat them? Preacher, I've got a theological question for you. The Jews say we're supposed to worship down in Jerusalem at the temple, but my ancestors say we're supposed to worship up here on Mount Gerizim. Will you settle the theological question for me? Whenever I talk to somebody who doesn't know the Lord, they always want to talk about the heathen in the jungles of South America. I say, let's not worry about the heathen in South America. Let's worry about the heathen in the living room. <laughs> Do you know the Lord? Is your heart right? Let's talk about the heathen right here. Yeah. And so Jesus, interestingly enough, points back at her and says, you know what? Let's talk about that question. Because you know what, lady? Your problem is not what you think it is. You don't have a relationship problem. You've got a worship problem. You ask me a question about worship, let's talk about worship. Because worship is exactly the problem that you're having. She doesn't realize it, but that is her problem. Worship is her problem, Chad. She's not worshiping Jesus. She's not coming to God to meet the deep needs of her heart. She's going to all these other human relationships, and they are failing her. Many of us need to realize that. Jesus is clear. No man can serve two masters. He'll love one and cling to the other, hate one and despise the other. This deep gnawing hunger in our heart, nagging thirst for our, in our souls is so intense we cannot ignore it. So we find, we look for satisfaction either in our relationship with Jesus or we find a poor substitute to stand in its place. Jesus knows only he can offer us true satisfaction. Many of us are thinking, if I could find satisfaction in God, I wouldn't have a need for my substitute. I could lay down my substitute. And Jesus says to her, no, no, it's just the opposite. If you, if you will lay down these other things, if you will stop letting these others pour into your bucket and come to me for living water, everything will change in your life. Lord, help us today. What is your idol? Idol? Pastor, I don't have an idol. I don't, I don't bow down to a little statue in my bedroom somewhere. Oh, only benighted people in some dark third world country do that. Oh, how foolish are we. America is one of the most idolatrous countries on the face of the earth today. We take our heart to all sorts of substitute saviors hoping they will meet the deep need. We go after fame and possessions and pride and relationships and we worship all sorts of physical desires, thinking that that is the highest thing we could ever attain. Listen, what is your idol? What is your heart grasping apart from Jesus for satisfaction? Addiction is idolatry. Say that with me. Addiction is idolatry. We don't talk about idolatry. We talk about addiction. I want to tell you addiction is the American word for idolatry. The reason you're hooked on something is because it advertises to you that it's going to make you feel better or it's going to help you cope or it's going to get you through the rough patch. It advertises all these things that it'll give you strength or it'll give you relief or it'll satisfy the, the need. It'll scratch the itch. And so you reach for these things that are addictive in nature. But the Bible says whoever sins becomes a slave to sin. 
And sin is a false advertiser. It never delivers on what it promises. Amen. Problem. Her problem is worship. He says it doesn't matter if you're on the mountain in Jerusalem or, or on the mountain or down in Jerusalem. Those who worship the Father worship Him in spirit and in truth, Jesus says. It's not about the place. It's not about your race. It's not about being a Jew or, or a Samaritan. It's not about being on Gerizim or down in Jerusalem. It's not about any of those things. It's not about race. It's not about place. It's about grace. Are you worshiping Him in spirit and in truth today? What do you mean? In spirit. Say in spirit. Are you sincere with God? You can come to church and go through all the motions and check all the boxes and get your card punched that says, I went to church, and your heart never engaged with God. There are people who do it every week, week after week, and they never really connect with God at the heart level. Are you worshiping in spirit? Is your heart in it? Is your spirit connecting with God? Are you really reaching out to Him? Whatever this woman had been doing on that mountain and called worship, it obviously wasn't worship. Because if she'd been connecting with God on Mount Gerizim, she wouldn't have been living with a man she wasn't married to. So her worship wasn't worship. It didn't meet the deep need of her heart. She'd sung the songs and prayed the prayers, but she kept giving her heart to the man, to man after man back in the village. Does that sound familiar? We've got people who come and pray prayers and sing songs every Sunday and they walk out of here and they still reach for drugs and they still reach for alcohol and they still reach for pornography and they still reach for sexual relationships that are out of bounds according to God's word and they still chase money and they still chase fame and they still chase position because they're convinced that those idols are going to meet the deep need. She pretended that with God and played games at church, she, but I want to tell you, You'll stop drinking from the wrong fountain if you'll stop going through the motions here but search and, and, and start searching, stop searching for satisfaction out in the world. Stop giving God lip service and give him your heart. Everything will change in your life. C.S. Lewis, two great dangers in worship. Number one, it's got to be the true God that I speak to and it's got to be the true me who speaks. Is the real you showing up in church or just the version of yourself that you dress up to be presentable for everyone to see? I want to tell you, God wants the real you to come to church today. Not the dressed up, airbrushed version of you, the real you. Did you bring yourself to church today? Or did you bring your good looking representative? Or did you come? Jesus says if you're going to worship, it's got to be in spirit. It's got to be sincere. You've really got to show up. The real you has to show up. Say the real you. And finally, you've got to meet the real God. Say the real God. Not only do you worship in spirit, you worship in truth. You've got to really meet God. You've got to meet the real Savior, the real Deliverer. Too many people think that church ought to be like Burger King. Have it your way. They change churches like changing socks. The music has to suit them. The building has to suit them. The temperature has to suit them. The preaching has to suit them. The real question about preaching is not, did you like it? The real question about preaching is, did he tell the truth? I mean, that's the real issue. Did he tell the truth? Did what he say line up with the book or did it not? That's the real question. I don't want a doctor to tell me what I want to hear. I don't want the doctor to ignore the tumor and say, oh, yeah, you're good. You're good. Yeah, you're, looks good. Party on. Yeah. What about this thing that's sticking out over here? Oh, don't worry about that. It's, it's, it's all good. It's all good. We love you. Nobody's going to judge you over that. But, Doc, I think something's growing. I mean, I really think it's hurting. And I think, oh, no, no, we, we, don't, we don't judge you here. We don't, just, we're not, you're good. Just go on. 
I'd change doctors if I were you. Why would you want to go to a preacher that would overlook your sin and tell you, well, it's all good? We don't talk about that here. While the cancer of sin grows and eats up your life and takes your soul away. Don't settle for a quack doctor. Don't settle for a quack preacher. They're even more dangerous. Let God address you today. Are you worshiping in truth? The real you, the real God around what his word says is true. In worship, we must tell the truth about God. You worship what you do not know, Jesus told the woman in verse 22. She says, I know that Messiah who is coming is called Christ. And when he comes, he'll tell us all things. When the Messiah comes, he'll straighten all this out. Jesus looks at her and says, I who speak to you am he. I'm him. Wow. The Bible says that the disciples show up at this point And they're all freaked out about Jesus talking with this woman. And while Jesus is distracted and all this scene is going on, this woman makes an amazing decision. Her mind is spinning. Her heart is reeling. Could this man really be the Christ? Could he really be the Son of God? Is he really the descendant of David? Is he really the one who represents God? Can he really do what he said? Can he really give me living water? Can he really meet the deep need of my life? If I trust my heart to him, can he really satisfy me? I mean, can he really do it? Can he? Can he? Can he? Maybe he can. Maybe he can. He knew everything about me. He read my mail. He knew my story. He must be able to do this. Well, he's able, but is he willing? Well, he said he was willing. I mean, he's the one who came looking for me. I didn't go looking for him. He didn't have to meet me out here, but he did. How did he even know I would be out here? But there he is, and he's looking at me, and he's calling my name, and he said to me, I'll give you living water. Well, you know, I've been, I've been burned so many times before, and so many people have made promises to me, but there seems to be something different about him. Maybe just one more time I'll try. Maybe just one more time I'll give it a shot. Maybe today I'll open my heart one more time, and we'll just see what happens if I take a chance on this man named Jesus. Lord, I do believe in you. Lord, I do trust you. Lord, I'm asking you, will you give me that living water? Lord, will you do something in me? Lord, if I let you in, can you really meet the deep need of my heart? Lord, can you really? Can you really? Lord, Lord, what is that? Lord, what is that? What is that feeling on the inside? What is that peace that's coming over me? Lord, can you really forgive my sin? Can you really straighten me out? Lord, I'm inviting you to. Jesus, I want to believe this with all my heart. You know, I think you can. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a chance. I'm going to let you in. I'm going to let you in. Oh, wow, what is that? What is that great feeling? What is that peace? What is that joy? Well, I feel like a weight is coming off my shoulders. Lord, I, I feel like my, my sins are being forgiven. I feel like I'm being washed clean for the very first time. I, I've never experienced this before, Jesus. I've never felt like this before. What is this? Is this salvation? Is this living water? Is this new life flowing in me? Oh, my goodness, I've never had anything like this before. I've got I've to tell somebody. I've got to go tell other people. I've got to go tell the very same people that I didn't want to see five minutes ago. And so she runs into town and... And she runs people that she was embarrassed an hour ago to even be seen in front of. And she says, come go with me. You've got to meet him. He did everything for me. He changed my life. He forgave my sin. He satisfied my heart. He's different. He does what he promises. He gives what he offers. You've got to come meet a man. Come meet him. This is the Messiah. Come go with me. Come go with me. Pastor, how do you know the woman got saved that day? Easy. Because the Bible says she went into town and it says she left her water pot. And I'll know you're saved when you leave your water pot. It's not hard to tell if somebody's a Christian or not. If you leave your water pot at the feet of Jesus and he gives you living water, that's how you know you're saved. 
But if you claim to believe in Jesus today and you're still taking your water pot to the world every Monday morning, you haven't had a drink of this. I'm asking you today, stand with me all over the house. Pastor Chad, come. I'm asking you today a simple question. Stop playing. Quit playing with God. Quit pretending. Quit pretending. Quit going through the motions and checking the boxes. Quit coming to church and pretending like you've got it together and everything's okay. Stop pretending. I'm challenging you today. Open up the door to the deep place in your heart. Let the real you show up in the service this morning as we close. And bring your heart just like it is, broken, sinful, abused, mistreated, wounded, disappointed, disgraced, deceived, all those things. Dry, bring it to Jesus. And dare to do what this woman did. Open up your heart one more time and take a chance on Jesus today. Give your heart to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, I've tried so many things that have let me down. I've tried so many substitute saviors that didn't deliver on what they promised. Lord, there's been stuff that I've done. Lord, I've tried other relationships and they've let me down too. But Lord Jesus, today, this preacher has preached and something has stirred my heart and maybe, just maybe, one more time, I'm willing to take one more chance and open my heart and say, Jesus, I need you to come. Jesus, I'm believing your word. I'm taking you at your word. I'm claiming your promise today that you can give me eternal life and you can satisfy my heart so that I don't have to keep turning back to the things of this world over and over and over. Lord, I'm, I'm tired of, of numbing the problem. I'm ready to deal with the issue. Lord, I'm tired of just taking the painkillers. I'm ready for the surgery. I'm ready for you to come and do something on the inside of me to fix me. Lord Jesus, I'm inviting you in. If you're here today and you are not right with God, I invite you to come. If you're here today and you've been taking the deep needs of your heart to some substitute and you've been coming up empty over and over and over and over again, I invite you to come and meet me at the altar today and say, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm sorry that I've taken my heart to all these other places. I'm dry. I'm empty. I'm tired of being disappointed. Lord, I'm coming to you. Lord, you made me. You created this hole in me, and you're the only one that can fill it. Lord, I'm inviting you in. Lord Jesus, I'm trusting you with my heart. I'm bringing my broken heart just like it is. Come and fill me up. Come and satisfy. Save and satisfy my heart. Come and fill me up to the point that I don't thirst anymore, so that I don't leave this place looking for the next fix of what the world has to offer. The only way you'll ever be free is if you give your heart to Jesus. All these addictions are just idols. The reason you keep getting pulled into them is because they'll never do what they promise. Trust Jesus. Give your heart to Him today. Let Jesus satisfy the deep need of your heart. Lay down your substitutes. Lay down your idols. Come to the true and living God and say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died and rose again. I believe that's enough to save me and rescue me from sin. And I believe your life can fill my heart and meet my deepest need. Peace, for joy, for contentment, for satisfaction, for security, whatever those needs are, Jesus can meet them. Are you trusting him to meet them?
We sang it a few moments ago. I'll build my life on your word, your love. It's the firm foundation. It's the only firm foundation. Only Jesus can satisfy. But you've got to give your heart away. You've got to surrender to him. Pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, I've done my best this morning. Every song has pointed us to this moment. Pastor Austin's lesson has pointed us to this moment. The passage today has pointed us to this moment. Lord, let us today wrestle with the two questions. Am I worshiping in spirit and am I worshiping in truth? Am I really bringing my heart to you or am I just going through motions and checking boxes today? Am I just singing songs and praying prayers and standing up and sitting down when I'm supposed to? Or am I really bringing my heart into the presence of God in worship? Has the real me come to church? And Lord, make us answer the second question. Is it the real God that we're serving? Are we serving some substitute, some idol that is taking our life from us rather than giving us life? Lord, today help us to see that for what it is. And to run to you, the only source of living water, the only source of life, the only source of satisfaction, the only one who can save us and meet the deep need of our heart. Draw people into your house, into your presence. Thank you for listening to our podcast at The Hill. We pray that you are blessed by this message. For more information on what's happening at The Hill and to stay connected, visit our website at foresthillcog.org, join our Facebook page, facebook.com slash foresthillcog, or download our app from the iTunes or Google Play Store.